Well, this morning we talked about Satan, didn't we? Or the devil. What did we talk about? The devil or Satan? Well, we're going to talk about the other one tonight. Uh, actually, as we said already, it's talking about the same in, character, or same individual. In the book of Revelation, tw chapter 12, And verse 9, and we'll notice 10 before we get through with our sermon. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So here we find, the, of course, the dragon is the bad character in the book of Revelation, and it actually it represents Satan, and it tells us that right here. Also makes reference to the serpent and uh, probably has reference back to the Garden of Eden and the serpent that deceived Adam, and, uh, deceived Eve. Adam was not deceived, but Eve was deceived in the Garden of Eden. And it's also called Satan and the devil. So we're talking about the same character here, same individual. Again, the word... Uh, uh, Got the wrong set of notes out in front of me, but I guess that's all right. There's a lot of similarities in them anyway. Just had too much to cover to cover all that in one sermon this morning. It's the reason we've had a, used a couple of sermons here. So the word devil, as we point out already, means adversary, someone that's against us and an opponent. First Peter 5, verse 8. Be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So here we see our adversary is like a, ro a roaring lion. Uh, the word Satan means accuser, whereas devil means adversary or opponent. The word Satan means an accuser, a false accuser, a slanderer, someone that, that does that. And of course we've just read here in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, 9 and 10, where he's referred to as an accuser. It says, the dragon which accuseth our brethren before our God day and night was cast out of heaven, cast unto the earth, and all. So uh, these passages simply show that uh, the word devil means adversary, the word uh, accuser, uh, Satan means accuser. There is another term that's used, and uh, we might turn to Luke chapter 11, verse 15. And here Jesus had uh, cast evil spirit out of someone. And the Jews were accusing him of doing it by the power of the devil, but it, it's put this way. But some of them said he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of devils. That's B-E-E-L-Z-E-B-U-B. -E -E so they accused Jesus of doing this by the power of Beelzebub. Word Beelzebub means the Lord of the house, the master of the house, and the Jews looked on. And of course, this was a this was a god that some of the heathen uh, people worshipped, and the Jews looked on this uh, this Beelzebub as the source of all evil spirits. And of course, Satan was the head of all of that. Hence, the word Beelzebub the Jews used in referring to uh, to Satan here in this particular place. And uh, well, that would infer that then that uh, Satan has people under him, 
And of course, the Bible talk, talks about the devil and talks about his angels, which we'll get into before we get through. Now then, Ephesians 2 and verse 2, talking about Satan, calls him the prince of the power of the air, says he is a spirit, a spirit that now worketh uh, in the children of disobedience. So he's a spirit, he's a spiritual being. And as we notice in Job chapter 1, and we might read verses uh, 6 through 19, if you got your Old Testament handy there. Now Job was a wealthy man. He was considered a very wise man in the area that he lived in. And uh, his ancestors uh, were cousins to the Israelites is what they were. And verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before Satan, before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered, The Lord said, From going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. Well, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and upright man that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him, and about his house, and about all that he hath on every side? You've, thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Of course, he was wrong. Job didn't do that. But uh, he was making accusations there against him. But here we find Satan among the sons of God in the presence of, of God. And uh, then later on we find he was cast under the earth. So it would appear as though uh, the devil was one of the angels and that he rebelled against God. Now the Bible talks about him being a sinner. How do you sin if you don't have some kind of sense of right or wrong? You know, it's kind of interesting here that Satan, uh, Satan fell from heaven. Not only that, but his angels also fell from heaven. It would appear then as though the angels were creatures that were created with the ability to make choices and decisions. I usually think of just human beings being that way, but evidently angels were the same way. Otherwise, they couldn't sin. They couldn't rebel against God if they had to have free, uh, you know, a free con. Uh, the ability to make free decisions on their own. And they made wrong decisions here, just like human beings do sometimes. And so it appears as though Satan perhaps was, a, was one of the angels of God at one time. He might have been an important angel. I don't know. Uh, the Bible talks about archangels, so there is, there is ranks among angels, uh, maybe a limited sense, but at least there are archangels and then other angels. I don't know that he was an archangel. Some some people say, well, yeah, he was an archangel that fell. We don't know that necessarily unless you know a passage I don't know about. But uh, he evidently was at one time an angel of God, and he fell. And that's who he is. He's a spirit, and he's an evil spirit. It does a lot of bad things. Uh, he's accuser of our brethren, which is accusing before our God day and night. Revelation 12 and verse 10 says, and that's his work. Well, what do we know about him, about his character? Well, 1 Timothy 3, verse 6 says, In appointing an out man for an elder, one of the qualifications is not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So it appears as though uh, one of the problems that Satan had was that of pride. 
And of course, with God being the Almighty, you can see how a prideful fellow might not like that very well. I call him a fellow. You can call him whatever you want to, I guess. We notice John 8, verse 44 uh, this morning where Jesus told these people, said, you're of your father the devil. And then he says, he's a liar, and the lust of your father you will do. He's a murderer from the beginning and a liar. So he's got a pride problem. He's very lustful. That means desiring stuff that he shouldn't desire. A murderer. Do you ever think about Satan being a murderer? That's what he says he is. Uh, so all these characteristics of him. First John 3 and verse 8 says, Whosoever commits sin is of the devil, for he was a sinner from the beginning. So we find he's a sinner. He's not a very, not a very pretty character is, as far as you looking at his character is concerned. Like I said, if we saw him in a physical sense, we, we wouldn't recognize him as what we think about being the devil. The Bible says he was cast down unto earth, knowing he hath but a short time. Revelation 12 and verse 12. And Jesus came to destroy him, that he might destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 and verse 8. And destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. And the devil that deceiveth them was cast into the lake of fire. He's going to be cast even further than down to the earth. Someday he'll be cast in the lake of fire. Now the, here in the Bible, we've noticed this in Hebrews chapter 12, that the devil was cast out, not the devil and his angels. So the devil has angels uh, that, that have followed him. Uh, in Revelation chapter 12 and about... Yeah, 12 verse 4. It talks about this dragon standing before this woman that was ready to uh, uh, bear a child to destroy that child as soon as he was born. But the child was caught up to heaven and up to God and uh, Satan was not able to get to him. But the Bible says that this dragon here, with his tail, he caught the third part of the stars of heaven. Now the book of Revelation, stars usually refer to angels. In chapter 1, Jesus had seven stars in his right hand, and the last verse there in chapter 1 points out that the stars were the angels of the seven churches. So with his tail, he drew the third part of the stars of heaven. Were the third of the angels in heaven that, were, that, were, that followed the devil? Well, might have been exactly that number, but there were quite a few, that's for sure. So the devil's not by himself in, in, uh, in uh, trying to obstruct God and oppose God. So he also has his angels. Second Peter 2 and verse 4 talks about the angels that sinned were cast down in hell reserved unto judgment. So like we said, the angels also sinned. Not just Satan, but the angels sinned. In uh, Matthew 25 and verse 40, uh, no, that was Jude, that was Second Peter chapter 2 verse 4. Jude verse 6 talks about the angels that left their first habitation, he's reserved into everlasting chains. So they left their initial state, their initial habitation, habitation where a person lives and where they dwell. And uh, so these angels that sinned uh, had left their first habitation. They left heaven. And it appears as though they were cast out of heaven as far as that was concerned. <clears throat> Now, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, uh, towards the end of this chapter, uh, he talks about those that have pleased God and those that haven't pleased God and those that haven't. 
He said, we'll depart into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, hell was not designed for man initially. Hell was prepared for the devil and for his angels. But people today that follow in the same way and do the same things that Satan did will end up in the same place cast into hell, into that lake of fire. So his end result is going to be bad. You don't want to go with him. Certainly don't want to, do you? In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 4, and this passage is dealing, uh, it starts out dealing with this man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a man who had his father's wife, and Paul told them there at Corinth to uh, withdraw yourself from such an individual, to turn him over to Satan, and says not to eat with him, uh, not to keep company with him, not even to eat with him. Not. And then the man evidently repented. There were two reasons for that dis disciplinary action. One, he says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. He talks about the influence that this man was, would have there in Corinth. Influence was like leaven. You put, put a little bit of leaven in some dough, and pretty soon that whole uh, amount of dough is leavened. And that's the way it is with, with sin sometimes, sin that's allowed to go without the church saying anything about it and all. It eventually will affect other members in the church. So that was one reason for the disciplinary action against this man uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, that, and also then it says turn him over to Satan that, that he might be, might be recovered eventually. Two reasons for that. One, eliminate the bad influence. Secondly, the discipline may lead the man to repentance. Well, that's exactly what happened. He, the man repented. And 2 Corinthians later then, Paul, when Paul writes to them, he deals with this situation about this man that had repented. Yeah, now then, he, verse 6. Evidently, the church current took the disciplinary action on the man. It says, Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was afflicted of many, so that contrarywise you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one would be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love uh, toward him, for to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also, for I, uh, for I forgave anything to whom I forgive it. For if I forgive anything to whom I forgive it, it's for your sakes uh, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now why does it say uh, forgive the man, accept him back? lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. He has devices, he has ways, manners, that he gets to people and takes advantage of them. You know what one of them is? When a person is sinned and they've done things they shouldn't do and they get down on themselves, and sometimes they get down on themselves to where they don't even feel that they deserve to be accepted back, and they just trod them down further and further and further. Now he says, the man's repented. Since he's repented, forgive him, lest he's, uh, lest he's overwhelmed with overmuch sorrow. That means too much sorrow. Get the best of him, overwhelm him. So forgive him, accept him back. Why? Because old Satan had him, and he doesn't want to lose him, and he wants to hold on to him. That's why. 
So he said, we're not, Paul says, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. Well, I think sometimes we're ignorant of Satan's devices. Some of the things he uses. He uses things maybe that are all right in themselves, but sometimes they had bad effects and all. So let's take a look at some of his devices, some of the things he uses. Uh, he, he's a spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That means he's working in, in, he's working in people. That's what he's doing. In, in Luke chapter 4 and also Matthew chapter 4, I think we read Matthew chapter 4 this morning, talks about the temptation of Jesus. He was led up in the wilderness. He was tempted in the three ways that 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17 says people are tempted in. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but are of the world. The world lusts thereof passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the, and the pride of life. Well, the lust of the flesh, he was hungry, he hadn't eaten for four days. Jesus was up on the Mount of Temptation. Satan says, turn these stones into bread. You're the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. He was appealing to the lust of the flesh. Jesus didn't give in to it. He said, it is written. And he, he quoted from the Old Testament. Then he showed him the beauty of everything in the world and all the lust of the eyes. And then he uh, uh, tried to affect his pride, his pride of life. He said, cast yourself down from the top of this temple. It'll be a great thing. People will see that and you won't be hurt at all. So he, he tried to tempt Jesus with the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Eve saw that fruit she was not supposed to eat of. She saw it was pleasant to the eyes, good for food, a tree desired to make one wise. There was a lust of the eyes, it was a desire for both to look upon, lust of the flesh, good to eat, and the pride of life, or make one wise, there's a pride of life. These three areas, these are some of these are devices that Satan uses to get to you and to get to me. The things we see that we really want, the things we feel that we really want, and that pride to be someone extra special, you know, more important than other people, the pride, uh, the pride of life. He appeals to people in that way. He uses these devices in any way he can. Uh, he's uh, an enemy that sowed tares in the kingdom of God. The devil did. Matthew 13 and verse 39. Among God's people, uh, he'll try to sow some people in among God's people that are not like they ought to be. And they're referred to as tares. Now, John, uh, John 13 and verse 2. Satan uh, not saying, but Judas, you know, betrayed Jesus Christ, didn't he? The Bible says that the devil, in, having put, uh, the devil having put in the, into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Christ. That's in uh, John 13 and verse 2. So the devil works on the heart, doesn't he? The heart you've got. The heart I've got. Our minds. What our minds run on. What our heart is on. The devil works through that as best he possibly can. And that's why he worked through Judas uh, Luke 8 verse 12 talks about the seed of the kingdom which is the word of God says it was caught, caught away out of the heart. Uh, in this parable he talks about different kinds of soil that, that seed and all are planted in. 
Something's like a wayside seed that's planted. And in other words, that's when you go to plant your seeds and all, some of it will fall out in areas that hasn't been even cultivated, even ready for seed to uh, hard, uh, hard soil and all to the side of where you're trying to plant. And that seed lays on the top and the birds come and they'll pick that seed up and it'll never bear anything with it because birds eat that seed. Says the Word of God is the same way. You have the Word of God on your heart. You hear it. You think about it occasionally. You may read it occasionally. It's on your heart. But if you don't really take it serious and try to follow it, old Satan will come and pull it away right out of your heart. And you'll end up with no, with no fruit at all. So the Satan, work, Satan works on the heart. Proverbs 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You need to keep or to guard your heart, the things of your mind and your heart that run through there because that's what affects all of your life. And Satan knows that. So he'll try to get at your heart. He'll try to get at your, your mind and your thinking processes and all. So you have to keep it. You put a guard on your heart. Guard it. Protect it. And the Bible says then in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 and verse 5 that you should... Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, that's a little bit difficult to do because most of us, our minds just run however they run, you know. Someone said, well, you can't help what you think about. Is that true? You probably can't right now if you haven't practiced, you know, controlling your mind and things you think about. You, you probably have a hard time keeping stuff out of your mind that ought to be in there. We have a habit of just letting anything that run, runs in our mind for us to think about. You know, you may not be able to keep certain thoughts from occurring in your mind from time to time, but you don't have to live and dwell on them. Like that trite phrase says, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. We need to exercise the control over the things we think about. The devil knows it. I get lax about my thinking processes, and you too. He knows that. Sometimes we're ignorant of his devices. He takes advantage of that, you see. Uh, I may have used this illustration here before, but you know, when I was young, I played football, baseball, and basketball. I was a, I was a starter of the bench, you might say. I, I was a bench warmer mainly. I was not a real good athlete. I loved it with all my heart. I really devoted to it and all. But uh, my physical abilities, my coordination, all was slower developing. Maybe that some of the guys were. And so I played football and baseball and basketball, but I, play, I played mainly in the scrimmage. Very seldom got to get into a game at all. In basketball, I, I did a lot of shooting, you know, on my own spare time. I got to where I could tell when that ball left my fingers whether it was going to the basket or not. We used to call it... Uh, Well, that word slipped my mind there. In the groove, that's what we used to call it, or a hot hand, you know. When I was 50 years old, I held a meeting in Plainview, Texas, and uh, a lot of those boys have been, on Saturday nights, have been playing basketball down at the school gym. After services Saturday nights, I said, Jerry, you want to go down and play basketball with us? Yeah. I went down with them. We had about 12 guys, six on each side, so... We played five against five, never two, two points. Well, we traded one guy in, another one out. I got finally got on the, out on the court to play. First ball I, I got a hold of, they said, shoot, shoot, shoot. Well, I shot, and it, it was, 
believe it or not, it was out there, Ed. It must have been 30, 35 feet out there, way out there, ripped that net. I had no idea where that ball was going when it left my fingers. I never hit another point all night long. Never. Why? Well, I wasn't in the habit of doing that anymore. When it comes to controlling things, you think about the same thing is true. We need to work at it. Work at controlling the things that stay in our mind that we meditate and think upon. Now, you have to think and meditate about certain things and good things and all. When bad things come in your mind, don't let it stay there. Kind of pretend like it's a blackboard. You don't know what blackboards are anymore. Chalkboards. Well, there's marker boards after chalkboards before the, the, what do you call those things there? Powerpoints came in and all that, the projectors and all, you know. Uh, But just pretend like it's a chalkboard back there. We call them blackboards because first they were black and then later they were green, you know, green blackboard. Just imagine when a wrong kind of thought comes into your mind that it's just written up there. Just imagine you're just erasing that off, you know. Get it out of your mind. And work on controlling your mind. If you'll do that, you'll eventually get to where you can kind of control what goes through your mind. You may never get it completely uh, conquered. Uh, I haven't, and I'm 85 years old, you know. And I don't have it completely conquered. But it's better than it was when I was young, because I didn't even think you could control what run through your mind, you know. But you can. So the Bible says we should bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word keep means to guard. Guard the things that run through your mind and through your heart. Because Satan's sure looking to get an, an advantage of you. We're not ignorant of Satan's devices. We need to beware lest he gets an advantage of us. Now, how are you going to give how are you going to defeat the devil? Well, how did Jesus defeat the devil in uh, in the Mount of Temptation up there? How did he do that? The devil said, do this or that. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. Know your Bibles. Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Know what the Bible says about different things. Be aware of that. Listen to that. And that will help you defeat Satan. Ephesians 4.27, need to give place to the devil. And that's, we've been talking about controlling what runs through your mind. Don't give him a place in your mind at all. Ephesians 6.11, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. We need this armament that's spoken of there in Ephesians chapter 6. Part of that is take the shield of faith so you may quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Referring to Satan again there. James 4 verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, giving qualifications for elders there, it says, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. And then it says, uh, of good report. A good reputation among other people will help you award Satan off. Because we have a tendency to want to live up to our how we imagine ourselves. If we imagine ourselves as being a good person, we'll ordinarily try to live up to that. So a good report, it says, you need a good report lest you fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Then 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary is the devil, walketh about as roaring lions, seeing, seeing whom he may devour. Be sober and vigilant. Vigilant means you're on the watch, on the lookout. Be on the lookout for the way Satan's affecting you in certain areas and all. And be sober. Sober means uh, clear thinking. 
your mind clear and you're, you're aware of what's, uh, you know, in control of what's going on around about you. So that helps to fight against Satan. And then Revelation 12 and verse 11, talking about that dragon that represented Satan over in the book of Revelation. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. One way we overcome Satan is through the blood of the Lamb. Understanding through the blood that Jesus Christ shed upon that cross, our sins can be forgiven us. And when our sins are forgiven us, then they're forgiven. And that we don't want them to get us down, as we said before. You don't want to make a lot of sins, or they don't want to do that. But through the blood of Christ, you can help overcome your sins and overcome Satan. And by the word of their testimony, by the word of God. And then last of all, they love not their lives unto the death. Now, what in the world is he talking about that? They love not their lives unto the death. That means simply they were willing to give their life for that cause. Willing to give their life for the cause of Christ. And when you've got people willing to give their life for something, it's hard to anyone else to get in the way of it. Love the Lord, love Christianity, live the kind of life you ought to live to, to the point of death if you need to. Don't let anything get in the way there. Guard your heart, keep it with uh, as best as you possibly can. Well, the lesson is yours tonight. There's some repetition on the stuff this morning. We just had too much stuff to cover it all. And I didn't cover it all, incidentally, but I'm not going to preach any more on that right now. <laughs> we appreciate your attention. I appreciate the invitation to uh, once a year to come up and talk here at Denton. I, I enjoy that very much. If there's anyone here this evening that would like to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you need the prayers of the congregation, we'd invite you to come. Uh, stand while we sing the invitation song.